Good morning, everyone. You're looking good out there. It is time to dive into the Word of God. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, what a surreal time which to be alive today in our nation and in the world. We're asking God, Father, for the grace uh, to live each day unto you, to look to you for the strength and the grace that you provide in our time of need. Comfort our hearts, Father, and with that comfort, help us to comfort others as well. Help us to keep our eyes on you, to remember that you're working all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, guide us now through this passage to encourage our hearts. Set them free, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Out of all childhood games I loved, Hide and seek the best. Red light, green light, one, two, three, mother, may I? Simon says, whatever. Hide and seek was the bomb. Top them all. I didn't like to be the seeker. I like to hide, especially in creative places, in places you would never think of looking. Once I went up into the attic through a crawl space, it seemed like I was up there for days. Once I managed to get myself inside the dryer, Best idea ever, I almost didn't get out, but no one ever found me there. Now there's a concept that runs throughout the word of God, the Old Testament and new, that in the time of trouble, all God's people have the ultimate hiding place where no harm, no destruction, no fearful threat could ever possibly hope to find us. Sound inviting? Well, you know where it is, and it's my pleasure to remind you. Uh, The psalmist put it this way, you, O God, are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with joyful songs of rescue. The apostle put it this way in Colossians chapter 3. He said, your life is hidden in Christ. A safe hiding place indeed, and really, when we're in that safe hiding place, there's a way God expects for us to behave, especially when there's chaos around us for those who are sheltered in place under the shadow of the Most High God. We enjoy some very amazing benefits, even when outside the hiding places in chaos. And so nowhere are the blessings of what it means to be hidden in Christ better described than Philippians chapter 4. Paul answers the question, what's life like when God is your hiding place. Let's take a look at our verses for this morning, starting at verse 4 of chapter 4, Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. It's just well-known, well-loved verses. Many people have already committed them to memory. Three commands here in this uh, very wonderful passage. Uh, For those sheltering in place under the wings of the Almighty, these are three exhortations for us to live by. He says, for those tucked away in the hiding place of God, he says, I want you to keep on rejoicing, verses 4 and 5. I want you to quit worrying, uh, verses 6 and 7. And I want you to take control of your thoughts. And it's not Paul the Apostle who wants us to do these things. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And note, they're not suggestions. They're not options. But in the Greek, they're full out commands. You could think of them like we think of the Ten Commandments. These are New Testament commandments. And it's a mandate issued not by the state of California, but by the King of Kings. And so to everyone hiding out in God, this is how you must behave no matter your outward circumstances, no matter what your emotions are saying, your mind is telling you, your neighbors, or CNN for that matter. Let's take a closer look now at these verses, verses four and five. I'll paraphrase. He says, keep on rejoicing. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again in case you think you misheard me. Uh, In case you think I'm kidding. Yes, I actually said in a time of stress, I want you to be joyful in the Lord. Let everyone benefit from your gentle consideration in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And so he's saying, listen, here's some advice brought to you from a guy who's been behind bars for some years now. He says, keep on rejoicing. You're in the hiding place after all. So Paul, you'll notice, repeats himself uh, for good reason. It's against our natural inclination to have joy when our senses are uncomfortable or when we're stressed out or in pain. And so the Philippians, it's a young church. They're new believers and they have a lot going on. Their founding pastor has been hauled off to jail. Paul is writing from prison. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. False teachers have moved into the church. They've infiltrated and take, they're taking advantage of what's going on with Paul's absence. They're slandering Paul. They're trying to take over. And there are two women in the church and they're at odds with each other and they're tearing the church apart. Rome is tightening the laws, restricting Christian activities 
and making life miserable for those who have faith in the Lord. And so it's in the context of all of this suffering that Paul is calling them to rejoice, not in their circumstances, but in the Lord. And that makes all the difference. These Christians were stressed out. They had troubles, personal struggles every day on top of uh, these terrible things that were going on uh, in their world. And so in that setting, Paul is saying, I want you to keep on praising the Lord, to keep a joyful spirit. Now, you know, he's not asking us to live in denial, but to live by faith. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He's not asking us uh, to rejoice in something that's painful. He wants us to look beyond the things that we see to the unseen realities, the invisible promises and presence of God. Those are the things that cause us to be able to have joy. So it's, it's uh, rejoice in the Lord, in your salvation. It's not some forced, fake, worldly optimism, some superficial happiness. It isn't helpful when we act like that. We just look strange, you know? It's not some pious platitudes like when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, or there's always a silver lining to every dark cloud. Please, no, <laughs> oh my word. No, 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 he says rejoice in the Lord. So even though you're in a present crisis, you're able to Rejoice because why? In the Lord, you're safe and secure. You're saved from hell. You have the forgiveness of God. Your sins are removed. He's promised to see you through. Of course, you can rejoice in the Lord because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Of course, you can rejoice in the Lord no matter what's going on outside in our lives because we know he'll never leave us or forsake us. And that he's working all things together for our good. And that if we're born of God, we overcome the world. And so we start to see some things that are worth rejoicing about, even though we're in a little bit of discomfort. Opportunities to share the gospel. People coming to know the Lord. Because of suffering, there's a renewed spirit of repentance among God's people because uh, of having to spend more time at home, uh, our relationships with our loved ones are enhanced. So there's a lot to rejoice about even though uh, we are suffering and to some degree. We're able to give God glory, praise his name, rejoice in the Lord even though the future is uncertain and um, taking a hit financially. You can still rejoice in the Lord because the Lord, he is our God and he knows the future. He guides me in straight paths, right? So I don't need to know what's going on tomorrow because God does and he promises to take me through the crisis, leading me in straight ways. And I have a God who will supply all of our needs according to his riches, so we're not worried about our finances. Uh, we rejoice in the Lord that he's promised to meet our needs. And so 
This joyful mindset is very beneficial to a community that's under stress. And that's why he leads into from rejoicing with a joyful heart to how we treat one another. He says to uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. Joyful attitudes really soothe uh, strained relationships. And so uh, they need to let that joy overflow into loving and gracious ways to deal with one another because when people are stressed out, they can be difficult. We can be short and abrupt and edgy. We can be lacking patience during times when we're stressed out. More apologies come after a long, stressful day than after a day without any problems, right? And so now, every day, we're stressed out like never before, right? So the church family needs to come together in unity. In a time of crisis, we must deal gently with one another for the sake of unity, which is so important to God. Let me show you a few verses. And Paul says earlier to the Philippians, stand together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the gospel, Philippians 1.27. Then to the Corinthians, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, prayed it in his high priestly prayer there in John 17 when he says um, to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me, John 17. And so to God, it's one of the highest priorities and goals. Nothing's more important than the unity and the love and how we treat one another. And uh, it's very um, threatened under times of trouble. And so uh, it, gentleness here, it means considerate, consideration, forbearance, tolerance for people's weaknesses, which is a lot easier to do when you're praising God. When you have a joyful heart, it's easier to be nicer to people. And so that's what he's trying to nurture in us with rejoicing and joy, and then let that spill out that we're able to be considerate and sensitive to those who are hurting around us. And so it's a real safeguard for sure. Now, as I addressed in this Friday evening devotional, Monday through Friday, we're sending out an evening devotional to close out the day with something from the Word of God, some good news as opposed to all the news we're hearing around us. And so uh, I mentioned in that email that this is a confusing time, conflicting reports. People are upset. Life has been interrupted. And some Christians are very reactionary when they're under stress. They live more stringent and rigid lives. And others 
are more calm by their disposition and they're laid back. But everyone is coping with this crisis and interruption in their lives uh, in their own way. And there are different maturities and different personalities and different ways of managing life and different opinions, different ways that we all cope. And that was going on at Philippi. And Paul says, come together, cut each other slack, be gentle with, with one another. Don't be rolling your eyes and judging people and being uh, insensitive or unloving. But let your gentle ways be obvious to everybody you come in contact with. And P.S., man, Satan is already very happy in the world right now that's gripped with fear. Fear comes from him. That's gripped in with confusion. Confusion is from him. Strife, sickness, sickness comes from him. People are asked to be uh, to socially be distant from one another. He's happy with that. He would love it if, for the rest of our lives, we we couldn't come within six feet of one another. I mean, churches are shut down. All gatherings. Limited and restricted. Churches are weakened. Their budgets are devastated. So the devil is happy. Let's not give him cause for any other joy, any more joy, uh, by being short or rude or unkind or ungracious because the Lord is near. And that's what he says. Listen, Philippians, I know I'm asking you... Uh, during a stressed out time to be joyful in your heart, to think about the Lord and to be gentle and kind and gracious to one another. I know of all the times they ask you to do that. It's really hard time, but remember this as your motivation. The Lord is near. So if you need motivation, just remember the end of human history as we know it is near. So bear well with one another that he God might bear well with you on that great day. Yeats, poet Yeats put it this way, that one far-off divine event toward which all creation moves and it's getting closer and closer and closer. And the sign of pestilence given in Luke's gospel that this would, would signal the beginning of the end should make Christians very excited and focused and want to be found doing our master's work. And so uh, Jesus put it this way. He said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know when your master of the house will return, whether in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning. Otherwise, he may arrive without notice Surprise, and find you sleeping, neglecting, distracted, sinning, off doing your own thing. And when I say to you, I say to everyone, Jesus says, keep watch. And so the Lord is near. Keep rejoicing. Keep treating people with kindness in light of the fact that any moment you are going to see God. The Bible tells us that even Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account to him. Keep that in mind every day, how you're handling your stress and how you're coping, that it should be in line with what God expects 
rejoicing in the Lord, treating people gently and graciously out of the knowledge of the truth that the Lord is near. And so we move on now to our next verses. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Ask God for the things you need with a thankful heart for all that he's done for you. That's how to experience God's peace, a peace of mind that doesn't even make sense. His peace will guard over your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's a little bit of a paraphrase there. So he's saying, since the Lord is near, since you're in your hiding place, you know, about the worries in this life, just stop. Just stop. Jesus said about worry, it's such a big waste of time. Instead, pray about everything with a thankful heart, and you'll find this wonderful calm come over you. Now, it's a tall order, isn't it? And it seems a bit unrealistic to ask us, don't have anxiety about anything. How about a pandemic? How about being out of work? How about the church can't meet together? That's a big concern for pastors. And notice I use the word concern because it's okay to have concerns. Concerns are different from worries. And we covered this. And I love this chart. I'm going to bring it up again for you. It shows us the difference between a realistic concern that motivates us to take action not to live in denial, but we have concerns uh, versus worry. So you'll see on the screen, concerns focus on others. Worry is all about me, myself, and I. Uh, Concern motivates us to serve, but worry just paralyzes you. Uh, Concern prompts us to take action, right? And uh, worry discourages us. Um, Others... Uh, are willing to share your concerns, but nobody wants to hear about your worries. Concern is driven by love. Worry is driven by fear. The goal of concern is to help, but worry doesn't even have a goal. It just goes around and around. That's why Jesus says, just don't do it. Concern will strengthen relationships and worry will just erode your friendships for sure. And then concern finally is directed by faith. It's tempered by faith. It's balanced out. You have a concern, but the faith, it it just kind of steadies you. But uh, worry disregards faith. It excludes God and his promises from the equation. And so Paul had plenty of concerns, but very few worries right? I mean, time and again, he was in prison, he was flogged, he was beaten. Those are concerns. We can go back to the verses now. There we go. And so Paul, this is coming from, and what makes this advice so much more valuable is that it comes from somebody who who had so many disastrous things happen to him, yet he can say, have no anxiety, have no worries about anything. Remember, he said, I've been in danger from rivers, from robbers, from my fellow Jews, from foreigners. I've been in danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I mean, these are are things that would, would send us into terrible worry. 
an awful anxiety. But he said, and he goes on, he finishes that by saying, and on top of everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. You see? So what happens is he takes his concern and he places it before God with a joyful heart and God ministers to him God's peace. And so he's able to be thankful. And thankfulness in any interaction with God is essential. It's kind of like the yeast in the bread. Uh, Thankfulness just gives us a grateful heart before God. And it reminds us when you pray with thankfulness, you're praying uh, because, and you're saying, God, thank you for using all of this for good Uh, for building character and endurance in me. There's things to be thankful for. I thank you that your grace is enough. As you're lifting the concern, you're kind of repeating and reminding yourself of the promises of God, that he stands by our side and God always comes through for the win. And so when you lift these concerns to God, uh, it's not difficult to see with a thankful heart how these Exercises can bring us peace. And so four important words in your text. The word for prayer there has this nuance of affection and intimacy and worship. It's a loving word of drawing near to God where our spirit senses his spirit and that's what brings the peace. We draw near to him in prayer. And then the word petition is bringing needs or casting our cares upon him. The word for thanksgiving there, it it has to do with that grateful heart. And uh, gratefulness really permeates every interaction with God. As the psalmist said, Psalm 37, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. It's actually Psalm 100. And then uh, there in your text, present your request. It means to pour out your heart. I mean, just tell him what's going on with you. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Uh, Psalm 62 and verse 8. And when we do these things, we're going to have the peace of God. And there it's described there in the passage. It surpasses all understanding. This is what he's saying. The world could be coming unraveled and undone all around you. You may get a terrible diagnosis from your doctor or go bankrupt or some kind of tragedy. Uh, But really, you can live in this peace that passes understanding. In other words, it's a peace you can't explain. You can only experience it. You can't explain it to others. It doesn't correspond to the situation. It isn't logical given the circumstances. It can't be explained. Like I said, only experienced. And so how can you explain the peace that belongs to God? It's God's peace. How can any human being explain that? Well, if you take a, a look at it, really, it says it's, it's the peace of Christ. It belongs to him. Now, can you imagine having... God's peace. And I think of what kind of peace does God have? Well, oh my word, God has no threats, no rivals, no enemies. He's stronger than all of his enemies. 
He's dependent on no one or, and nothing. All threats are irrelevant. He has no needs. So it must be quite incredible to be God in the sense of the peace in God's heart that he says, I'll give you the peace that I have. I'll put that in you. Well, no wonder it passes all understanding. Wow, Charles Spurgeon defined the peace of God this way. He said, it's the undisturbed serenity of the infinitely happy God. So Paul is saying by the Holy Spirit, just follow these instructions and it will be well with your soul and the peace of God. God's personal peace will be in you And not only will it be in you, but it will be in a military term used here to be an armed soldier standing at your heart and your mind, preventing any interruption or disturbance of his perfect peace. And and that's good, because how could you and me ever fend off insecurities, nagging fears, these harassing worries and haunting Uh, confusion and despair. We don't have the strength for that. Those kinds of things can bully you so easily, but he says, not with God. The resources of of heaven standing right at the door of your heart, uh, disallowing those things from interrupting uh, your peace. You're in the hiding place of God. You're safe and secure from all alarm, enjoying a peace that the world could never understand. And so finally, we possess this peace and we're moving on now to some mental maintenance. Maybe uh, maintenance isn't the right word because he maintains our peace. Maybe a better word would be cooperation, how we could cooperate with God now with the next few verses here. Finally, He says, he says, take charge of your thoughts, right? And we have to do that. So maybe he's asking for us to cooperate. And well, how about this? Not to sabotage the peace that Christ is willing to give us and provide for us. We have a part to sort of uh, set the rudder of our minds and thoughts to cooperate with him. And as I've said many times before, you can't stop the bird from flying over, but you can stop him from building a nest. So here's a quick list provided by the Holy Spirit of how we can direct our thoughts to maximize and guard our peace, to keep undisturbed. Thoughts, man, 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day, 30 to 50 thoughts a minute. And that's really scary because when you think about the power of our thoughts over how we speak, the choices we make, how we behave, the quality of life is determined how we're thinking. Sound thinking, sound life. Right thoughts, right life. So what's fueling the thought factory inside that brain of yours? Is it the world? Is it social media? Is it our own sinful hearts? It's dangerous. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
King James Version of Proverbs 23 and verse 7. That's why Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, above everything else, guard your heart, guard your mind, guard your thoughts, because it's the wellspring. It's, it's from your thoughts, your inner life uh, springs forth everything you do, everything you are. And so here are six virtues that God is telling us will help corral our thoughts to produce wonderful things in our hearts and lives. Mark Twain wrote this about our thoughts. He says, what a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life takes place in his head which is known to none but himself, and I would add, and to God. All day long, the mill of his brain is grinding, and it's his thoughts more than anything else that makes him what he is. That is why the Holy Spirit says, set your mind on things above. Take every thought captive. Think about God and his word and things that are good and right. And here's the list in front of us. He says, number one, make sure the, the, the screen, yeah, the screen, the filter, that everything you allow in your mind is true, meaning true as to fact, meaning true as to God's reality. What God has revealed is true, for God is called true in the Bible, and so is his word. So it's this integrity, it's, it's just not false. So if it's not biblically true, we send it packing. Number two, they're noble or honorable. Whatever is noble, think on these things. The word think there, by the way, is a lot stronger than just a passing random thought. It's more of a a meditate upon, let it sink down deep. Honorable, noble, that which inspires reverence or awe. So go about your life with a sense of dignity, that there's a sacredness, a seriousness to life. There's a heaven to gain, a hell to avoid. God is in everything, watching everything. And so, yeah, we should make sure that what we're thinking about is admirable. If it's not, if it's not noble, I should say then bye-bye. And the third word there is right. Whatever things are right, and this word is also used to describe God. God is righteous. God is right. And so we keep our minds uh, aligned with God and his will and his word in every matter. The next word is pure. That's pretty easy. He says, make sure it's morally good. The absence of anything that would defile, especially concerning sexual immorality. It excludes, therefore, all thoughts about greed or lust or hate or anger or bitterness. All of those things are excluded. When the filter is, it's got to be pure for me to be thinking about it. And so lovely is the next word. And there are a lot of lovely things that we're attracted to uh, that aren't biblical. He's saying biblically... What is delightful? What's pleasing? What's agreeable? What's attractive to God? Like a gentle and quiet spirit or when we are generous or gracious or when we show mercy and treat others better than they deserve. Man, when we tell ourselves no, these are things that are very lovely in the sight of God. Think about those things. And then he says admirable. 
Think about what is of good reputation. To speak well of is what it means. So in other words, think about things that God would give two thumbs up to. For for example, hard work, sacrifice, or turning the other cheek or going the extra mile. These are things that God approves and finds admirable, and we need to be thinking on those things. And then next come two kind of restatements when he starts with if. He's really saying, to sum it up then, uh, think on anything of virtue or moral excellence, which is another quality of God. So stop and ask this. Is this thought in line with God's moral nature and God's revealed will? Does it jive with the commandments, with the teachings of Jesus, the way Jesus is, or the teaching of the New Testament? And then he goes on to say, and to sum it up even more, think about anything worthy of praise. Is this something that heaven would applaud? Is this something that gives God glory? Would it please him? Like helping the needy, loving the unlovely, forgiving people when they sin against us or offend us, to overlook offenses, to walk humbly, to do what's right, to love mercy, to not panic when the rest of the world is giving way to fear, to be a light in the darkness, to shine for the whole whole world to see. Think on these kinds of things. So this means, in other words, think on these things with a view to do them. You see, think on these things. Give these considerations weight in your decisions. Uh, Ralph Martin, one of my professors from seminary, I've got his commentary. I sat in his classes. He says, uh, think on these things means to allow them to shape your conduct, to shape the way you live, because as you're thinking, so to your words, as you're thinking, so to your behavior. So as the Bible says, take every thought captive. You have to be active. You have to be proactive right up here. And this lends itself to having and living in peace. And then he closes out with verse 9 with this incredible statement. Can you imagine being able to say, um, hey, if, if this is overwhelming to you, just watch me. Just imitate me. And the God of peace will be with you. Uh, if you're a visual learner, just, just watch how I deal with difficult people, how I handle adversity, how I cope with stress. Watch my values, how I spend my money, how I spend my leisure time, what my priorities. Just, watch, just watch me as I follow Christ. Follow me. That's amazing. Or listen to me, he says. Whatever things you've, you've heard from me. You know, how, how do I react and respond in crisis? What kind of words come out of my mouth? When they're edifying, when they're helpful, when they're morally pure, when there's an absence of profanity, when I'm building people up, when I'm praising the Lord, when I'm affirming people. And in being gracious, he's saying, whatever things you've heard come out of my mouth, whatever deeds you've seen me do with my behavior, imitate me 
and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like whatever things you see and hear in me, don't do. And the God of peace will be with you. Uh, but, you know, we all need to be able to say with Paul to others around us, follow me as I follow Christ. Our lives should be like Bible verses for people to read as the Bible describes us. So time to wrap up. Now to all who are sheltering in place under the shadow of the Almighty, hiding yourself in God. Number one, our command, keep on rejoicing in the Lord instead of despairing in your situation. Number two, stay others-centered. Treat others with gentleness and grace. Stay others-centered instead of being self-absorbed in a time of stress. Thirdly, instead of worrying about every little thing, pray about every little thing with a thankful heart, a spirit of gratitude, because you know you're in a safe place that your peace comes from God and he will guard that peace. Though all hell break loose, you'll be enjoying that great peace, safe and secure in the hiding place of God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we're so thankful for these concepts. They're a little elusive. They're hard for us, God. We tend to do just the opposite. We see the things that are seen instead of the things that are unseen. We walk by sight instead of by faith, and we reap the terrible consequences of that. Help us do just the opposite, to walk by faith, not by sight, to look past everything that's going on right now, all the interruptions, all the inconveniences, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the uncertainties to you and your promise and your peace that can never be disturbed. Help us continue to take cover under your wings and to find that wonderful peace by following your instructions and keeping our thoughts on things above, dwelling in our minds on the good things. We thank you and we praise you. We commit ourselves to you. We pray that you'd help us share the gospel during these times and that, Father, your gracious hand would guide and protect us all. Protect the rock, Lord. Help the church to be, continue to be established and to thrive and to come through this um, well and healthy and refined we thank you for all these blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 